0: Hello, I'm Sandeep Tyagi and you're joining The Brand Called You. The brand today is Manish Gupta. He's the founder CEO of Corridor Platforms. Uh, He spent 12 plus years at American Express where his last job was executive vice president responsible for all data marketing analytics and decision platforms. Prior to that he ran the small business segment at American Express. He's also spent dozens of years of being a consultant at PwC, Mitchell Madison and Arthur Anderson. He's educated at IIT and University of Rochester. Welcome to the show, Manish. Thank you, Sandeep. Glad to be here. Uh, You spent a lot of time at American Express, which is a leader in um, financial services and, and a very advanced user of analytics. Why don't we start off with there with a job title like EVP responsible for all data decision platforms and marketing analytics tell us about some of the um, interesting trends that you saw emerging and how has decision making changed uh, in a company like American Express uh, in the last few years uh, you know
1: the I think the major change in decisioning and analytics is driven by consumer or customer need. Almost everything is, as you know. So the trend, what we call digitization, stems from consumers having the ability now to discover products, offerings on the internet almost instantaneously, then being able to compare products and being able to choose and buy at will. Um, and as you think about that moving into the financial services realm, this is how it manifests itself. You know, in in somewhat olden times, not that far back, you applied for a product in a bank or you researched a product in a bank and then you applied for it, let's say, a credit card. And then the bank got back to you after a week or two and then you took that product and used it, right? And uh, there was... The process behind that is, was built to support that experience. Now, that experience has changed to, I will evaluate credit cards across multiple banks on the internet, at the same time apply to three, see who gives me the best offer and price and line, and I will accept it immediately and reject the others. Uh, so that requires a different process. Uh, And that process is almost a sea change when it comes to how things are done, both on a front end of what is the experience, which is easier to, to kind of imagine, because instead of a paper application, you're basically giving that same information live on an internet. But the tougher part is, how do you now give that response almost in real time and be able to cater to... Live discovery, be very agile in changing your offers because competition is changing and you're being evaluated against somebody instantaneously. That requires a a different process in the back end from decision agility and analytics. So that is the most crucial change that has happened in financial services and how they are kind of upgrading not only the analytics that allows you to think to do things faster or better uh, or go moving into big data and machine learning. But a, a slightly unforgotten problem there is how do you also get the change management agility uh, when you're doing some of these things? So I can go into that a little bit more in detail, but that is I think the biggest thought process that banks have to think through. Not only how do you upgrade analytics, tools, modeling capabilities, big data, machine learning, talent is the next or always the biggest challenge that can now handle that. But I think the unmet challenge right now is how do you also create the process of and increase that level of automation so that the speed of decisioning itself
0: is becomes almost real time. Speed is clearly one thing. We are all living in the instant gratification journey, but to make that happen, to make that possible, uh, you touched upon talent, you touched upon process. Um, Those are two big elements. What about data itself? Uh, Is the quantum of data, we keep hearing about that's growing. Did you see a big change in terms of information simply being used to make those decisions? So, you know, The the answer is going
1: to be depends. Um, There was obviously the promise of big data in being able to use a lot more data uh, and and use that faster in decisioning. And that promise, I think, is correct. There was also this implied promise that there will be newer data sources available that you did not use before that could enhance decisioning. And that's where I think the depends is because I think for when you're coming to financial services and regulated industries, okay, so this is confined to regulated industries because I think in other places, there are a lot more applications and you you, you have other examples of those. You have to be very careful that when you are using data, one, it is consistently available for a large set of the population so that you don't create some inherent bias just because the data is not there. And then two, it has to be clean enough and a long enough history that it kind of helps you predict something. So while the promise of social media data, uh, other kinds of data is, is, is strong, the ability to then create a data set which meets the regulatory requirements and is effectively additive to the traditional data source, which have already met, which is credit bureau data, your application data, your general data that you've been collecting. It, that, that has been a challenge, right? So in some areas where it's marketing or you're thinking about targeting, some of this data can be used. And you cust- basically the idea is to use the data to give you a better customer experience. So you make it more relevant, right? So to the extent you can use it to create relevancy, I think it has helped to the extent that you use it to make critical decisions, which are also have a regulatory requirement, it has been a tough journey. But I think there is promise as we start getting more consistent in collecting, organizing, being able to control the use of that data, which is very, very important globally uh, because of privacy and fair lending regulations. And I think there will be another step function change because of that. But currently, I would say, for credit regulated decisions, the the, the, the impact has been um, uh, at a medium level.
0: So we're using the existing data better, we're using it faster, but not yet using a lot of new type of data yet. Let's talk about talent. Um, I know your background, you you have an engineering um, and in some sense would come from the school of, um, you know, numbers and analytics. Uh, being the core decision-making capability. American Express is renowned to be a, a brand and a, and a softer marketing capability as well. You know, they had fantastic lines like don't uh, leave home without it and other things. How have you seen marketing analytics or market decision-making change between um, the number-driven people and the brand and messaging? and relationship-driven
1: people. So first of all, I must make sure I qualify that I no longer work at American Express. So, uh, and any of these views are just general views based on experience at American Express and consulting, like you said beforehand, uh, at many other banks, etc. and my current gig. So, but that said, the question is a generic enough thought process, right? How do you balance analytics and brand? Again, I think the, maybe a cliche answer, but I think the important answer here is almost everything starts with being customer centric and meeting the customer's need and doing the right thing by the customer. But obviously you have other uh, parties who have a stake, the company itself, the shareholders of the company and your employees. So there's a mix of What is the right thing for the customer? How can a company be profitable? And how also the employees come into the mix into this. And I think in general, um, all of these elements are influenced by the actual numbers and analytics, but then equally influenced by brand, which influence the numbers
0: directly or indirectly, right? Um, So Uh, let me ask the question in a different way. I, I want to get deeper from the cliched answer, as you said, When you were hiring a leader in your team, what did you find was harder to find people who understood the math or people who understood the softer aspects of decision-making? Just because of
1: my background, it was always easier to identify with people who knew the math, right? Uh, Me, myself, I had to graduate to learning the softer side and always finding that softer side for me at least was always difficult. Now that may be reversed for somebody who started from the softer side, so I cannot see, say, but, uh, but I think that's a journey and understanding that the softer side has tangible impacts and is actually equally or more powerful than the numbers sometime is difficult for analytical people, especially with engineering backgrounds, to kind of comprehend at the start of their career. Though I would like to believe even that same logic as they see actual causal effects, they can then start concluding that, okay, this is not that soft, that brand truly has a direct impact and is driving the numbers. This is the, you know, now to bring it back to this whole thought process of big data that always irks me. you know. Big data, machine learning, and AI is all about pattern recognition and data. How that pattern got in there is when you go to the extreme and it, it, the, the AI people absolve themselves from that thought process because it is there, and so we'll figure it out. The problem you have when you don't know the how, this is why truly we believe maybe we'll touch on this, that why a mixture of human and a computer is always going to be in my mind, the most powerful combination, no matter what. Because if you don't know how that pattern got into it, then you do not appreciate what that was that got that pattern in there. So that now it's not a replicative process. Two, you do not even know if that pattern is sustainable or will transition in different environments or cycles and will not be there. And it may in fact reverse patterns. And I can give you examples of that could happen. But at that point in time, that pattern is there. Now, if you study it from an analytical perspective, it's the universal truth, right? And that truth could even be when kangaroos jump in Australia, the stock marketing market goes up higher in, in America. And that always shows up, right? So. The fact that somebody's making a kangaroo jump when the stock market goes up is not captured in that data. So the idea is you have to be able to understand the driving cause of numbers. And a lot of the time it is around the softer things like brand, why are you going after a given product? Why does it, even if a brand makes a mistake, why does it continue to not fail versus you thought it would have failed because of loyalty, because of things you've done? So there are all these softer aspects that drive and many other things that I think is very important. So getting that mix as you go more and more senior or more experienced is what kind of rounds you up as a general manager. That's why I think it's called a general manager.
0: Um, anyway, that. Um, <laughs> So, if I were to summarize, you're saying you can find the patterns, but don't confuse uh, correlation to causality. And to understand the pattern, you need the softer skills. And to get anything done, presumably, you need the softer skills um, and the experience of having gone through them, so that you realize what
1: those softer or other reasons for for those uh, you know events are. Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, Well, you've been, uh, you were phenomenally successful in your professional career in a big company, but you decided to change gears a few years ago and and decided to branch off uh, and start a company called Corridor Platforms. Uh, Tell us about that. Why name it Corridor Platforms? Seems like two geographic features. How do they come together? And uh, what does it do? I see. so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, my career path has been somewhat of a constant change, though there were blocks of continuity. But as you go back, like you said, I was a consultant in a few companies, and then I went to American Express. But I would say within American Express also, I played different roles. Started in risk, then went over to be a GM and ran a business, then came back and did data and information management. So I think change is something that excites me and being able to impact change excites me, right? To to innovate, to do new things, to start new businesses. Even in these companies, I did start a lot of new businesses. So the thought process of let's do something uh, different and, and start a new company was not uh, as uh, as difficult for me as a personality, as maybe some of the other people who have gone through long corporate careers. Um, but it was a big change, that's clear, because you, know, you get used to all of what a big company provides you. Uh, and even though if you think you are able to do it, to do it actually, and I know you've also done some of these things in your career, is, is, is a learning experience and at some points frustrating and some points a challenge in a good way. But coming to your question, what is Corridor Platforms? So Corridor Platforms is actually a continuation of almost thinking through what we were doing in our our careers or in my career in analytics and thinking about what is this missing link that is there when we are thinking about the next advancements in decision management. And that missing link that I talked to you about was while you can take the tools, uh, which is, all of the big data and machine learning toolkits and the talent, the process change. So that will enable speed. And this speed is not the speed of the millisecond of decision. It is the speed of being able to change something quickly, i.e. if something is not working on the internet and you're losing business, how do you change your whole strategy and policy? And it can't take three months, six months when you evaluate change, go for approval, governance, put it into production. In the meantime, you're losing a lot of business. So the agility, that is what I call the process change. Current processes in decisioning analytics are fairly manual at at financial services. And the toolkit is becoming more and more sophisticated. So the analogy that I give is think about You've an, uh, uh, you have started building an Acela engine when you think about machine learning and big toolkits and talent. But the Acela needs to run on a track that can support the speed of an Acela. You know, Acela can go at maybe 200 miles per hour, but the average speed, it goes at a 60 or 70. And at some point, it can also be that it, it can't even run because it'll derail because the rails are, are not capable. So think of that as the analogy. So when you think about the the rails that take decisioning, they start with data, being able to organize, track what data is used where, standardize how it is used, is it compliant? Then it's going into features and models and strategies. And then is it implemented in production without error, analytics versus production. So this is like a continuum rail. And right now those rails are are basically built and checked manually. Data is kind of copied over, then the models are built, then you govern the model on the back end, then you build a strategy on paper, then you kind of govern it, then you put it into production. And that is the crux of the problem. So now that you have very, very larger data, more sophisticated models, you almost derail because now you cannot do all of that manually. So this rail with governance built in and a level of automation, Almost think of it as, because rail is not something that was easily available, think about it as a corridor or a pathway where you know the boundaries and you can transparently connect all of the various workflow steps. So corridor is a workflow automation capability for analytics and decisioning. Creating this kind of pathway or rail with boundaries or guardrails to create that level of automation that will give you speed with governance kind of built in and transparency and auditability built in, and so that you can move things quickly through this cycle, which is needed for the, the digital age. So the word Corridor came about in just thinking about it's a platform, it's, it's a workflow platform with different workbenches and how do you create a connected pathway. And Corridor was easily available at that point as a .com address. So then that all <laughs> combines it, it becomes a Corridor platforms. So that's, that's the story behind Corridor. Also,
0: well, so how many good companies have been named because what was available uh, in dot um, .com domain a story continues. So if I were to paraphrase what you're telling me is you're taking uh, these sophisticated modules, but connecting them in a way which is better and faster. And, uh, and moves the whole decisioning uh, along faster. Uh, that's the core uh, focus. And, and the reason it is not as fast as it can be is because there are manual steps of moving large amounts of data and model from one team to another or one process to another. Is that correct? I, I think that's in a
1: nutshell. I think a common uh, problem that lots of us have heard right? Uh, that, hey, when financial services or regulated industries spent a huge amount of money investing in big data, ML, talent, toolkits, but then there was this huge thought process of, oh, I've spent all this money, but I don't see the impact come through, right? And that was actually the genesis of my last job at, at Amex, at least. How do you create that impact? And the missing link, I would, I would suggest, is the fact that, Now you've become too sophisticated. So you can't now take that process through and get that speed, move it into production, see that impact quickly enough. And so when people ask that question, at least my answer to that was, we haven't yet uplifted the process infrastructure. And uh, I think that's a chronic issue globally. And something that I believe almost every financial services organization, banks, insurance companies, even healthcare regulated companies will have to tackle. If you see, Europe has basically come down hard around GDPR and how do you use data and they're creating a lot of now new papers on AI and what would be required for you to, to audit and know when you do something. And, uh, and, and, and in USA also, as, as the sophistication level has increased, the kind of scrutiny on knowing exactly what is being used for what purpose, is it compliant? Are you doing the right thing by the brand? And are you moving with speed and do that with speed? I, I think that is a problem and it's going to be a competitive issue and a regulatory issue. And, uh, and people who do not step up to it within the next year or two are going to have many, many kind of issues either being competitive, going through economic recession or regulatory pressure. So I think there is a a need where we've kind of moved quickly to satisfy consumer need by creating the the front end. It's like a Ferrari without the engine, but the engine hasn't caught up and that will lead to trouble. So I think we are the the reason to leave uh, and start Corridor Platforms was also we feel like there's a huge need and an opportunity to kind of develop a solution like this that can be used by financial services globally, hopefully to basically leapfrog quickly into into making this a success. And and so that's
0: our hope. So not just speed, uh, control and transparency are also needs in terms of getting. um, And you see that in many, many places, how uh, Facebook or Twitter or Google decide what to show, uh, who to suppress, how they make their decision is being challenged in Congress. And uh, you would see the same when it comes to credit decisions or any kind of financial decisions. People want to know uh, transparently and in a way that they can control how these decisions are being made by these black boxes. Um, well, let's change gears a little bit. You, you touched upon the difference between uh, a big company and what it provides and a startup. Tell me a story. When did you first realize that this is different than being a EVP in a in you know two hundred Vesey Street? How is it different running a startup? Some experience I can tell you. uh, When I did my startups, uh, trying to install just a Windows operating system on your computer could take hours, which you never thought about uh, was something needed. No, and I would say it's a
1: similar experience. I think beginning to appreciate all of the support and help that you got in these companies um, is a very, very important step, right? So the realization that you have to do everything yourself is already there when you take the step. Realization that you cannot do things well on this everything comes very, a little later. Like you assume because you have handled complex decisions and 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 other things in life that like you said being able to install something will be quick but when you are spending three hours doing something that you should be taking five minutes on and then you realize this is a, a, a true uh, value add that somebody else was doing for you so those are there are many such examples right even even uh, even the fact that you know uh, figuring out how to send an invite <laughs> without having to type everybody's name and ensuring it went properly uh, you know is because obviously the uh, the put the error or the the ability to make an error there is zero if you're sending an invite out because eventually if somebody doesn't show up for a meeting and you are the one doing it so i had to figure out and i still don't think i do it the most efficient manner you know how do i send an invite change an invite, do things. I spend hours making sure I didn't make a mistake. so that, you know, I don't mess up a, a meeting and meetings are important when you're doing a startup. You're Basically, you are at basically doing everything yourself and you're also selling your product. So, uh, you know, the client is the most important. So making sure they got the invite properly and I didn't mess up. So those are the kinds of things um, that are important. I, I do believe there also a plus in that, that they also force you to learn and get grounded in things that the current generation is already apt and experts in, right? Like social media, um, new trends, um, what is the discord, what is Reddit? Um, and I think the, the, uh, the change that is happening in, in the current environment is much at a much faster pace than at least what I was used to. So at this point, the pyramid is inverted in my mind. The The experts are at the bottom. We I think we grew up, you grew up in an era where the pyramid was, you know, as you grew, grew, grew more senior, you in a sense knew more and therefore you trained and guided the bottom of the pyramid. See, that is no longer the case, right? So right now, the pyramid at the bottom knows much more about many things um, than the pyramid at the top. So the role of the top has become, how do you essentially get out of the way, but do a critical function of giving this boundary, which can easily be violated when you're young, when you're more inexperienced, almost the corridor again. So it's all about, you know, how all roads lead to corridor, but uh, basically how do you know enough that you can set the boundaries and so that you can be a guiding force, which I think is very, very important and channel the, the knowledge, but then also let them do the work and then be able to ask these intelligent questions which spur more insight in them than you were even thinking would spur, right? Because you didn't even know enough to spur, to spur but but that is the trick. So you learn a lot of these things, which is also about technology, about how things work, how GitHub is working, how DevOps is working, all part of, I'm talking about the Corridor Platforms journey as you're building technology, how sprints are working, You know how Slack is being used as a tool to create productivity. All of these things we didn't, right? We were using emails and, 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 and administrative assistants were doing all the work. So there's this bunch of tools that have created the new age of productivity, new information flow, that just getting your hands dirty and then being is probably training you more. So I almost feel all big corporations should figure out a way that their senior management get their hands dirty. I don't know if doing a startup is the only way to do it, but so that they can actually fulfill their duties as Guide, guidance or guide forces. Otherwise, I think most senior teams in American corporations uh, at this point are not capable uh, to take the company into the future, which is a big sentence, but I think it's the truth. And people who kind of keep long-term employees who are not able to, to change and experience and guide eventually are going to suffer big time. Now that goes into a very deep corporate trend. I don't know if we wanted to go there. Let's go down down to lighter topics. Well, let's change gears.
0: It's a big one in terms of the value of learning and how do you do that. Uh, But um, let's go to your personal journey. Uh, Tell us about your childhood. Tell us one or two major influences that you had in your early childhood that you think has shaped your worldview in the most dramatic way.
1: I think, um, you know, I grew up, my, my father was in the Indian Navy. So I grew up with the armed forces uh, as a kind of back background during all of my, you know, in, high, in, in schooling at least. And I think that gives you, a, in, especially growing up in India, that gives you a, a very different perspective of what is meant by organization, order. Um, achievement then you also become a little bit more flexible as you move uh, play locations often change schools um, so I think that has been a driving force many people have their own driving forces and they achieve but I think in just being able to accommodate change being able to adjust being able to at least l- think about organization as a force to get things done, which the armed forces are good at, um, being, and being a little, little bit more confident because you're always constantly kind of dealing with, um, you know, armed forces people who are generally learned to be more outgoing and more, uh, um, more of an extrovert. They may be introverts, but at least in behavior. So, those kind of things, I think, shape your personality. I think the other thing that really uh, shaped me was education. And that is when we were in the armed forces, you basically went to schools which were not um, very, very rich private schools. Uh, we were which were the regular government schools. But somehow the schools that I went to always had, Phenomenal teachers, because they were basically armed forces in this in this case, not to be, uh, you know, being careful about genders In mostly in in the armed forces, at least when we grew up, it was uh, the working member was the male as part of the armed forces. But the women were equally accomplished. And they many times uh, gave in return by taking going and teaching, which was a great thing. So we had these. And along with armed forces, we also had other government organizations like Tata Institute of Fundamental Research, et cetera, all house. So we had these PhDs who were not working, but would give their time, thankfully, to teaching. And I just had a phenomenal experience learning from some very, very experienced teachers at very, very cheap government schools where you had diversity of people but a teaching quality, hopefully much better than most private schools. And somehow I somehow attribute a lot of uh, my inquisitiveness, my learning process to that uh, phenomenon, because I do believe it was unique. And I feel like that gave me some, something different from anybody else. So anyway, that those
0: are kind of two. two Organization and curiosity are the two things you got. Um, if you close your eyes and you look at your, uh, you know, journey so far, and think about the best experience, you know, moment of elation, joy, happiness that you have experienced, what do you see? What was that experience? Well, Yeah. So I I think there are a few,
1: but let's keep it down to the one. Well, I think the biggest change in life. And the elation was obviously, uh, was not obvious, but was the move from India to America, right? And, um, and obviously, how that happened is, is important to reflect on because we were doing engineering. I know you were also doing engineering. But then I decided that I didn't want to do further studies in engineering. I want to do an MBA, which at that time was not that easy to do from India to here. I didn't even have money. So I needed a scholarship. Most people from the IITs were coming here for masters in engineering and scholarship, et cetera. So kind of going in a non-internet era, applying to schools in an area which was not very common and then requiring them to give you scholarships and then hoping that happened. And then eventually through a lot of turns, it happening where I got uh, admission and a substantial scholarship or grant at the University of Rochester. And then making my first journey abroad, literally, right, ever, uh, was to land alone at, I think, Newark Airport, uh, and then taking a connecting flight to Rochester and realizing my bags hadn't shown up in Newark. So then my first flight out of India ever alone with a little bit of money, not much in my pocket, no bags. I show up at Rochester. And so when I think about that as an experience and then, and, you know, how you then progress and almost learn a new set of uh, of things with, a new, with new sets of experience. I think that's a unique thought process. and And, you know, few of us have gone through it, obviously. And there's a huge amount of selection bias of who goes through it Um, but it is unique and you know then you learn things that you know all these people take for granted or everybody takes for granted like how do you use an ATM here I know you um, I remember peeking over to make sure I understood how an ATM works before we putting a card at our age right and so and things like that how do we get food at a cafeteria Uh, and all of those experiences so those I think are having a formative experience like that, almost like a rebirth in the middle of your, or not in the middle, at a, at an advanced age, I think is, is life-changing. And so maybe that one.
0: Very interesting. Uh, you know, never know what, uh, what people carry, but um, that's interesting that you picked that uh, experience. Well, let's, Flip, uh, any point that you remember as something that didn't work out quite well and what did it teach you, a failure experience in life?
1: I mean, obviously that you always are learning and failing in life. So there are many such occasions. I would, So I probably now go on this side because there could be life failures, but we could maybe go to professional field, right? So, yeah, well, they're, they're every I, to me, I think the most of your person's learning comes in difficult situations, be it as you're managing something through a difficult situation, or you're managing your own personal growth through a difficult situation, because you compress a lot of learning into that one bit. So, for example, when I was at American Express, there were a few ventures I wanted to start. So. And I was enthusiastic coming from consulting, thinking, you know, for fast pace, now you're at a corporation. And so let's say I wanted to start the first business. We won't go into the details because some of that is confidential, but completely failing and getting frustrated on how do you move a large organization or parts of a large organization fast enough to launch a new business on a new product. I failed at least a few times before I learned and figured out that the problem was with me and not the system. Right? Because it was very easy in the earlier stages to just curse the system because you know you're basically used to your consulting speed and everything is slow, everything is wrong with, with how things work in a company, and it's easy. Then you come to have to come to the learning and
0: realization that. Okay. How did you work on that? That's very interesting. We talked about you know recognizing patterns and having the softer skills, and this seems like an extension of that. How did you work on something like that? What did you change about yourself that uh, eventually allowed you to succeed in creating a business? Yeah. See. See. I think
1: um, I don't know. My path is that. Uh, um, when you are doing well in life and you've done well in your education and you started off well, a certain degree of arrogance falls, becomes onto you, right? You want to do X, Y, Z before you are 30 or you want to do that and you achieve it. Um, and then you basically are not able to internalize what are the things that are missing from your own uh, what is your development need right uh, a good example of this is a slight off track so you you would see somebody in a corporate and progressing and uh, getting promoted very fast and have let's assume become president right I'm just giving it as an example this is not a true example but now let's assume that you felt their education background their IQ their smarts their knowledge base was, Below par, and yours was above par. So now you are completely frustrated. That um, how is it that y- you, who is creating impact, knowledge, etc., is not there, but somebody else is taking? Now that can is a an arrogance comes into it that makes you frustrated. E- eventually, I don't know if everybody gets to it. The realization, and hopefully, if somebody is listening to this. It's learn from other people's mistakes, right? Or other people experiences is the best way to learn. The realization has to come that let's assume that the system is okay for now. If, let's make that assumption. If it is, then the characters and in analytic terms, the variables that you have been given, you are giving importance to are certainly, let's assume correct that other person doesn't have. Then there must be a set of variables that they have that you do not even have awareness of are a part of the overall utility function, right? So just coming to that realization, then you can say, yes, no, there's, but is a very important step because then you'll really start focusing on what is it that they have that you do not have so you need to build. Let's not worry about what they don't have that they need to build because they've already achieved what they have achieved. And then if you start with that path, then at least for me, that was a changing moment because then instead of getting frustrated, you understand that that person is great at people skills or that person is writing handwritten notes to everybody of his team who gets promoted and you never even thought that was an important thought process to create loyalty or whatever those coefficients are. And then you start building what is the missing factors. And that's similar in launching a firm, right? launching something. It's, it's, it's not that the other person doesn't wanna do it or is slowing it down. It may be the incentives aren't aligned or how do you build momentum by getting the team motivated to start rolling the ball as opposed to going from the top. And how do you kind of do those things? So you have to start reflecting on why is it that you are failing as opposed to what made it fail which is just frustrating. And I think that's the learning pattern. And I think the best way to do it, I tell everybody in my teams or my kids that learn from others, which is also very, very tough to do. And I'm not saying I'm the best at it because sometimes you just have to go through it. But if you could learn from other people, then obviously um, you can reduce the pain a lot. So anyway, these kind of reflections then make you go into say, okay, now when I do my next venture, I will, and slowly I did succeed. So I knew that I was doing something right in launching some new businesses, etc., cetera. And I think that's when you felt comfortable that maybe I can do this on my own outside.
0: Very interesting. So that's a very optimistic view of uh, saying the, the world actually works and, and look inside, uh, be the change you want to see. Uh, very optimistic view. Um, the last section here, Manish, is what I call on the spot. I'm just going to ask you quick questions. Whatever comes to your mind is the right answer. Don't think, just give me the answer as you look at it. Uh, Is there a movie that gave you a life lesson? If so, what it is?
1: Is there a movie that gave me a life
0: lesson?
1: Uh, No, I mean, nothing comes to mind. I could easily say autobiographical movies like Gandhi, etc. give you life lessons, but nothing just flashes in my mind that a movie, okay. A, okay. A, well, okay. a book. books certainly gave me life lessons more than A very uh, 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 early book that I really remember is a book called "I'm Okay, You're Okay." Um, um, there the, are a string of books by Thomas Harris and 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 some of these other books about mind and 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 uh, psychology that I really got into early in my career, which I thought were very very interesting and very formative.
0: Okay. If you were to get a nice gift for your wife, what will you get?
1: She always wants some diamond something. So it has to be a diamond bracelet or a diamond. (laughs) The next step of the diamond, it's always how bigger and how better you go. So our bags. So if it's just my wife, it's either going to be a bag or some next evolution of diamonds.
0: Well, divins haven't changed a lot, so I guess you just need to go up in carrots. Um, if you I could just have uh, to make some money.
1: <laughs>
0: if you could accompany anyone for a day and observe what they do, living or dead, what who would you want to accompany?
1: Well, there are a few, but if you think about it from a business and professional angle, I would I think it would be Warren Buffett. Um just because I I, I I I just, you know, there are a few things that I know about him that are intriguing. Um, For example, that his calendar is usually very, very light,
0: right? Um, That's why you might not see a lot happening in a day.
1: (laughs) Which is fine. But I would, uh, you know, I, I truly believe that the more accomplished and more senior you have, your ability to manage time and make, Yourself available for important things it has to become very high. So, and I've tried to strive. I, I kind of always uh, question people who say, "I'm so busy that I cannot meet you for the next three weeks." Uh, and if they're a senior person, that immediately gives me uh, doubt into what these people are doing, because at least the more accomplished or my my kind of. Uh, idols in terms of of um, profession are they've always been able to meet me within 24 hours when i wanted to make to meet and the more senior they are the easier it is to meet them so it's got to be and their productivity it's not as if they're doing less work so it has to be how do you become more efficient and more productive and if you're not then then you know, I, but I think that is the biggest skill somebody needs to learn as they balance work, life, and everything around them. And I think that's a crucial thing. And I think he seems to have got it right. At least he seems to project it. So I want to learn from the best.
0: <laughs> okay. All right, sir. Well, time has run away. Uh, we are at the end of it. Last um, few words. What is brand Manish Gupta? What do you uh, stand for? So
1: that's um, difficult because what I stand for is obviously the culmination of all these experiences. As a professional, I would love to stand for somebody who truly strove hard to reach their own potential and driving the change and reaching, helping companies reach their potential. But the most important part, I think, as a leader making sure your team as a whole and the individuals in their team got challenged enough to go at a path towards achieving their full potential. So I think the whole thought process of keep challenging yourself and then contribute to impact in organization and people and the world hopefully in a positive way to the best of your ability and that is the more important part because I think people just do not give it the whole go. And then you're like, okay, you left something behind. So that is, I think, what I would strive to be the brand that when you kind of die, you feel like you gave it your all
0: and you didn't leave anything behind. So strive hard and get others to strive hard. Great. Thank you so much. to, <laughs> to strive hard, yeah.